House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Good morning. Now, today we're talking about the nation's most notorious wrongful conviction, and that is of Stephen Avery. Now, he's a Wisconsin man who spent 18 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. So with us today is the author of the book, The Innocent Killer, Michael Griesbach. Now, he's also the district attorney in the same county that Stephen Avery was convicted. And, uh, of course, he's the next generation. And uh, welcome to the show. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm glad to be here, Al. Uh, absolutely. So, um, I, you know, in, in, in all the controversy, and I know we've talked before, and, um, and I see a lot of the uh, feedback we get, I guess you've been put in kind of a awkward position. So I wanted to do this follow-up because um, as, as I read the book, I and we interviewed uh, last May, um, I sort of saw it as um, you were writing the book to talk about the wrongful conviction suit and about the whole justice system and kind of what was happening with, um, you know, the, it's the innocent man kind of thing. And I, I think that we kind of needed to uh, bring that out because of the uh, feedback, I, you know, I've been getting. Sure. Okay. Um, yeah. I... Uh uh, you know, that that's exactly right. I never dreamed uh, that this would become a contentious uh, thing, at least from, from that side of the equation, the people who, who uh, think that, you know, that I'm somehow uh, an anti-Stephen Avery pro-law enforcement type. If anything, when I wrote the book... I was more concerned about how my colleagues in law enforcement, especially district attorneys, would view uh, me and my book because I was, you know, going against the grain. I was taking the task the, the my predecessors, former, you know, law enforcement, former sheriff, former DA, in a case, and not just saying, look, this was a wrongful conviction back in 1985. This is a horrible wrongful conviction. This was a, you know, essentially an intentional or reckless sending away an innocent person for 18 years. Um, and yes, I, I think the focus, in fact, two-thirds of my book was about that. Only the last third touched on Teresa Halbach's murder. And I did um, try to bring in the lessons of the criminal justice system. I spoke about wrongful convictions, spoke about prosecutor misconduct. Um, but here we are, you know, yeah. what a difference uh, television makes. Yeah, yeah, and, I, and that's sort of how I took it. I mean, that was last year. And um, when I finished and went on and, you know, months are going by, to me, that's that the the book left me thinking more about his wrongful conviction and about what happened and about uh, not so much about Teresa Hallback, which I guess that's you know bad in a way, but that it wasn't intentional. But the, the, for me, the main focus was um, the eighteen years and and what the sort of how the prosecution system worked in this case. So how how has it been with the um, we're still working in the same county and with the other uh, 
with the sheriffs and, and people. I guess they've moved on, of course, but is it okay now? Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, um, I was uh, surprised to some extent. Um, I mean, not completely surprised, but the, the police, for instance, um, especially the Manitowoc City Police Department, um, different officers in court would say, you know, thanks a lot for writing that book and explaining what the police, the sheriff, a handful of police in, in the Manitowoc County Sheriff's Department, a different agency, and the former district attorney did, because they appreciate when, you know, people, your listeners won't believe this, but most most police, um, you know, actually want the bad apples to be out there. They wanted them, they want them to be held accountable, because like any profession, um, you know, there's some bad apples among police and among prosecutors, but I I do think the vast majority of them would never do anything like happen in the first Avery case. Um, are, they're interested in trying to do their best to seek uh, justice in a in a tough system. Um, that's not to say that you know there isn't a special authority, especially with police, that, that unchecked authority when they're out on the streets. Um, especially that used to be a bigger problem and still is. Um, although I think cameras, body cameras, have really helped that a lot. Um, so maybe there's a, a greater danger, I think there is, frankly, of what uh, the bad apples can do in these positions. Same with prosecutors. We're given probably way too much power and discretion in, in, uh, in the court system. Uh, so, but the, the bottom line is most police are not interested in doing that sort of thing. They are decent people. They're people's husbands and fathers who, right now, not a real easy job, frankly, and kind of a dangerous job. And uh, that I wrote the book, um, they appreciated it. Now, the, I'll be honest, the prosecutors have been a little bit standoffish. Um, not so much in my office. I'm friends with them, you know, but uh, prosecutors throughout the state with the exception of just a few, it's my book's been met with uh, kind of a cold silence. Um, I don't know that they liked that I took, you know, at suggesting that uh, a former prosecutor intentionally, essentially intentionally, or recklessly at the least, uh, sent an innocent guy to, away to prison. We're, we can be an arrogant lot. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll confess that right here. Uh, it's an occupational hazard and call a prosecutor on a mistake and say, you did this and you shouldn't have done that. Uh, if you want to watch somebody get real defensive real quick, uh, that's the way you do it. Oh, yeah. You see that every day. You just want to watch Nancy Grace. And, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, there's a... There, <laughs> there you Man, I don't mean it badly. I, I, I guess it, well. you know, it just comes across that way and, and um, that... Uh, but you actually took this further like you you took the evidence and um t took it a, to madison and tried to get something done um with your predecessor so it wasn't like you just let it happen right no we got really troubled myself and another da by what they did and we did we took it to the wisconsin state attorney general's office for an independent review uh, and she whitewashed the entire affair and that's what i wrote in the book i mean that's the top uh, Wisconsin law enforcement official at the time. That's not the AG now, but that was the Attorney General back in 2003 when we took it there. And she 
basically blamed it on, you know, tunnel vision or something and found no criminal or ethical misconduct upon the uh, the part of the former sheriff and former DA, which, frankly, is nonsense in my view. Yeah, yeah. So, and we were talking about that. So what do you think the um, the negative backlash is all about? Is that just about from from the making the murderer and how they portrayed everything? Well, I think that's a good chunk of it. I mean, making a murderer came in the context of um, a, a, a strong feeling throughout the country that, you know, I'm not saying anything you and, the list, and your listeners aren't fully aware of, um, but a strong distrust of police, uh, especially in urban areas with the police shootings that are very troubling, uh, some of the racial stuff that is very troubling. Um, there's a slew of recent cases, uh, appellate court cases, and especially in California um, and in New York, and uh, accompanied by media attention, New York Times uh, opinions, on prosecutor misconduct and prosecutor arrogance and prosecutor's failure to uh, disclose uh, what we call exculpatory evidence which is evidence that could help a defendant suggest maybe an innocent, uh, maybe the defendant, uh, you know, maybe he didn't do it, or at least could help him suggest that he didn't do it. Sometimes there's been a lot, too many instances where the, there's been failures to turn that stuff over, and then the reaction by the prosecutors in these cases, U.S. attorney's offices, sometimes the worst, has been, up. Oh, you know, no big deal, we harmless error, we didn't mean to do that, sorry, we won't do it again. Uh, you know, so that's the context of when this comes in. So I get it um, as to why people are upset. Um, you know, the, there is, though, in addition to that, that's just the context that this all comes to play. Making a murder itself, while it did some good things um, by bringing you know, attention to the criminal justice system to a wide group of people usually wouldn't care that much, it also did a huge disservice, in my opinion, um, by 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 presenting a, a one-sided sort of agenda-driven version of what happened in this particular case in the county where I work, still as an assistant district attorney. Yeah, and so well, I think the the most shocking was probably about uh, the Brendan Dassey, the uh, uh, of course the uh, the interviews that he had without proper counsel and and if anything they set him up um but that that's not illegal is it that's that's a legal way of of interviewing it it is to a point um they call it the read technique r-e-i-d from some uh I don't know, it's a former cop or a psychologist or something in northern illinois used all across the country and that is troubling. Um, my family and I watched the movie, the Netflix documentary together, and uh, we were troubled by it. I had kind of heard portions of it, but I didn't realize just how uh, how aggressive the interrogation was of Brendan Dassey, who, you know, uh, is obviously, um, uh, you know, emotionally or at least intellectually uh, has some shortcomings and you know some people would would argue he's he's got you know the equivalent of uh, maybe a you know a sixth grader in terms of 
recognizing what might happen after this. You know, what will happen tomorrow if this happens today? I don't think that was there with him. So, yeah, I completely, in fact, I very much separate out Brendan Dassey's case from Stephen Avery's case as much as you can because they get interrelated eventually. But um, the court's going to have to take a good look at that. That case is in federal court in Milwaukee, um, so I can't, you know, comment too much on it. Um, but I can say that they need to really wrestle with that, and I'm sure they will, um, and figure out whether across the line legally um, there are a lot of people who think, and I don't know that I disagree, <laughs> that the courts right now are allowing too much of that kind of interrogation uh, by police, where the goal is to break the person down and have them confess to a crime that the police are convinced uh, the person did, as opposed to finding out the truth. You know, So uh, the, the two police officers, unfortunately, are, you know, they're, reaping the, the threats and the anger from um, people's reactions against that technique. They they were following uh, a technique that's allowed, which, so, you know, let's talk more about the system, I guess. Um, I was hoping, or do hope, eventually, instead of uh, threatening police officers um, who, yeah, who weren't, um, really violating the law as it stood or as it stands and we'll see where that law goes yeah well yeah they i i think they one of the biggest feedbacks we got was uh about um how they could um take him in there and interview him for hours at a time and he had no parent with him or no one of age no counsel with him and I think that was the biggest, like, how could that stand in court? How could they use that evidence when he had no no adult with him? Here's where it gets really fact-specific, Al. Um, apparently his mother chose not to be there um, in the first interview. And his mother, uh, and this isn't the one shown, this isn't the one at the Sheriff's Department. This, remember, there were like three or four interviews, hours of interviews, and uh, Making Murder only showed one of them. That wasn't used in trial. Um, as far as his lawyer not being there, that that is that is like malpractice per se. Um, should be you know ridiculous. I don't think that was the confession that was used either. Um, so some of the premises of uh, that people are upset about are not true. I'm not trying to say that um, that uh, you know. Even what they used in trial um, should be the way that the law allows it. I mean, you could make an argument that any juvenile should always be required to have the, the parent there. What if the parent says no, though? And even if the parent doesn't say no, the law, at least in Wisconsin, is the juvenile doesn't have to be there. Uh, there'd be a lot of shootings and armed robberies uh, that would go unsolved um, or unprosecuted with even dead people, murders, you know, if that was the absolute question or the law, a prohibition against that. So these are balancing uh, things that have to be balanced and weighed out. His case, um, whether this crossed the line, is is open to interpretation. I guess what what the court will look at, though, is not just what all, all the viewers looked at of making a murder. The court will look at which particular interview was introduced into evidence. 
not the really shaky, dicey ones that, that, that you know, he was not served with effective assistance of counsel. In fact, he was sabotaged, yeah. uh, probably well-intended by his counsel and the counsel's private investigator. But there was an interview before that um, that the court will have to try to figure out if it was coercive or not. If it was coercive, it gets suppressed, and he gets a new trial. And I would think uh, there's nothing, you know, there um, with which to uh, uh, use as evidence against Brenda Dassey. Um, so, you know, it might be that his time in prison is done. Um, and, and it is what the law is. Whatever the case law and the court finds in rules of evidence and what is presented for it, not a, a documentary and not the anger that's expressed, um, but the court might conclude that, you know, I mean, the court has to figure this out, and um, we'll see what the court does. So. Yeah, it, 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 it certainly drew the line. Um, I will say that about the documentary, in the fact that they they sort of laid out the good guy and the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and, and I sort of feel that, if anything... Um, uh, from the beginning, and um, those guys that interviewed Dassey um, were made to look bad straight across the board. There was no, no, it wasn't a two-sided, um, you know, it didn't give them any opportunity. No, and, and you know, it, it, it does look bad, and a police officer interrogating, and sometimes it is bad. You know, there's some officers that, that do it, in a fairer way. Now, I'm not going to weigh in on what Weigert and uh, what's his name, Fassbender, did here. Um, but I, I can say that what they showed, I'm sure, is the worst of what those two cops did. Um, but, you know, I, I don't want to totally uh, sit here and justify. I've had some cops that their interviewing techniques I, I, I can't stand, and I don't use it. Um, and I wish they weren't police officers. I, I don't think we are and Fassbender are in that uh, club. I don't work with them. They're different jurisdictions, um, but I've, I've seen worse. How's that? Uh, yeah. and, and, and recognizing this, uh, please, listeners, you did not see um, the whole thing. You saw the worst parts of the interview, but... I, I, some part of me wants, would rather, you know, I, I'd like to talk about Avery, and I know we're getting there, because Dassey, I don't disagree necessarily with a lot of the viewers of Making a mur- Murderers, uh, certainly the troubling aspects of it, and that they're troubled by it. We'll just see what the justice system, um, which, you know, if we get to the point where we don't trust at all the justice system, courts, and the appellate process, and rules of evidence and constitutional principles that have been around since, whatever, 1600s in England, and that us, you know, as a democracy accepted. Uh, it's not perfect, but if we assume it's all corrupt and that ev- that making a murder and documentaries like this are all right, correct, you can't look further or you got to accept that version and not trust the courts whatsoever at yeah. every level, um, we're in trouble. Uh, in the criminal justice system. Yeah, well, I've I've got one I have one other um, major comment that I had on Dassey, and we get into Avery. It was about the um, when they um, showed him uh, being asked who shot her, 
And a lot of people commented that that was leading, that was giving him um, the um, the answer, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, now, is that an okay in a trial or or in an interview for a trial? My understanding, Al, and I again, I focused on the first Avery case, so I I put that caveat in there that I am not an absolute expert on the second one. I'm learning and I'm reading. I've already read the transcripts, but um, I I am not privy to every single bit. But and I can't, you know, I'm flying through transcripts. To tell you the truth, it's hard to take it all in. But um, my understanding is actually uh, Brendan had said something about uh, a gun and shooting uh, Ms. Halbach, Mr. Avery, shooting Ms. Halbach before that interview, in an interview that I think was used in the trial and was not shown on Making a Murder. Um, Now, let's fact-check that. I'll fact-check it when I'm done. and uh, I'm sure your listeners will fact check it. And oh, yeah. if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But, <laughs> oh, yeah. but I, I, tru- I truly am um, almost certain, uh, at least that's what uh, a person that I know, non law enforcement officer, uh, reminded me of the other day. And, and if that person's wrong, I will be talking to that person. <laughs> but uh, I think he had stated in a prior interview that it's not shown in Making a Murder. Um, that I think was also said in court um, that that uh, Stephen Avery told the police Stephen Avery had, had shot uh, uh, Teresa Hobart. Um I don't know if he said in the head. I don't know. But there, I believe there was mention of a, a gun and a, and a shooting. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I... I, I do want to put that in as a, I believe so, as I coached it. I'm not certain of that. Yeah, you don't want to be certain. Um, <laughs> yeah. They'll check. Uh, no, see, so yeah. back in the Steve Avery case then, what were the um, what were the things that bothered you the most about the prosecution? Uh, the prosecution of the old Steve Avery case yeah. or the new one? Well, uh, uh, the original one? Yeah, the original one. In 1985? Yeah. Uh, yeah, lots. Um, number one, the prosecutor lied to his staff. His staff came up and said, hey, I think it's Gregory Allen. It looks like him more. He sounds like him. And the prosecutor at the time in 1985 um, said, no, I checked, and the sheriff checked. Allen, Gregory Allen, the real assailant, uh, was on probation. He's on probation still. His, his agent told me he's got an airtight alibi. can't be Allen. Well, Attorney General's found uh, that actually Allen wasn't even on probation. Um, there's a number of other things, including a, a complaint I found in the Avery file showing that the same prosecutor, who I name in the in the book, you know, Dennis Vogel, um, had prosecuted the real assailant, Gregory Allen, back in 1985 for um, attacking a woman or trying to attack a woman, lunging at her, dropping his, his shorts, um, on the same section of beach that Penny Burnson was attacked uh, two years later by Mr. Allen. Um, there was other evidence. I believe a leather jacket uh, lineup was sort of faked. I believe some police witnesses probably perjured themselves about seeing Mr. Avery wearing a leather jacket at various occasions when they had contact with him in the few prior years uh, because Penny had described a very particular leather jacket on her assailant. I think the sheriff knew and the DA knew very likely 
within a couple of days that Avery didn't do it. Um, and, and there's other evidence for that, too, that gets pretty uh, densely packed in here. We don't have time for it. And they knew Gregory Allen did it, which is just as bad <laughs> or worse. I don't know which. They're both bad. Uh, and they kept going against Mr. Avery, sent him away for 18 years um, for a crime he didn't do, and let Mr. Allen go free, and Allen uh, brutally raped a woman in Green Bay uh, eight years after escaping responsibility for uh, Mr. Uh, for, for, for attacking and almost killing Penny Burnson. So those guys remain unaccounted both for all this, the two, the sheriff and the DA, um, they dodged a bullet on a wrongful conviction lawsuit when they were personally served, uh, sued. They got a pass from the Wisconsin Attorney General uh, when she found no criminal ethical violations, and they're still not getting any heat. Um, it's the current officers who weren't even there um, at the time um, and who, you know, who were involved in this case because of an investigation that happened on their watch, uh, but they're paying essentially for the, you know, the sins of their predecessors, and their predecessors are skating free. It, it's it's troubling in a lot of ways. Yeah, well, I think I think that um, from what you can see on the on the uh, documentary, it looks like um, it's because some of the cops there um, that found the evidence in the new case are kind of blamed for planting the evidence. And um, a lot of people just are convinced of that period, that they, that, that they happen to be the same ones being deposed in the first one for the lawsuit, happen to find the, um, the evidence in the second case. And I, I think that um, that's probably why, because they consider them... Are they still working on the force right now? Um, one of them is retired and did retire probably five years ago, Jim Link. The other, Andy Colborn, um, is um, still a, a detective or a lieutenant the sheriff's department. But worth noting, though, Al, is that neither of them were here uh, in 1985 when, when Mr. Avery was wrongly convicted the first time. Um, and second of all, they were not sued. They were not parties in the wrongful conviction lawsuit. They were witnesses. Um, they received a call, and that's why they were being deposed. Um, when one, I think, I think Colburn was just a corrections officer at the time, and Link was probably a deputy at the time. Uh, in 1995, ten years after Avery was wrongly convicted, they get this call from Green Bay PD saying, and this is at night, you know, second or third shift, something saying, "Hey, uh, there's this inmate we have." Uh, who's saying he did this crime and you got the wrong guy in prison for it. Um, he kind of referenced the crime on the beach. So my guess is they didn't even know, Colburn Link didn't even know it was the the uh, the Burnson case, the, the Avery case, because I don't think they used the name. But they did what they should, frankly. They passed it up the line to the higher-ups. And the higher-ups said, nope, tell them we don't want to hear it. We got our guy... Uh, we don't know what they're talking about. Um, so, you know, Colbert and Link had no reason to believe that Avery, that this guy uh, who was in prison before they were even there uh, was wrongly convicted. And they were doing what the higher-up, probably the sheriff himself, who has escaped responsibility for this, told them to do. So 
but the timing is horrible. I think it's three or four weeks after their deposition that Teresa uh, disappeared and, and was murdered. And they shouldn't have been in the in the uh, trailer. I mean, let's face it, they did not belong in the trailer. Um, there, that is presented a bit worse in the documentary than it really was. There was a Calumet County cop with them the entire time. Uh, the documentary only shows the, you know, kind of that final question by the defense where the Kelly McCauley cop ends up admitting, you know, yeah, uh, I guess it's possible, you know, they could have, or if I looked away, maybe they could have planted a key. And, of course, the documentary shows an empty bookcase with the key on the floor. The fact is the bookcase was not empty when they pulled it away. They were uh they were they pulled away a full jam with magazines and books things. They were looking through that those things for evidence um, for stuff that I'm not able to really explain well pornography essentially that they thought maybe would would be relevant if depending on what they found to the trial and this is weeks after uh, after the murder um, and in jamming the stuff back um, and this is in the testimony I believe jamming the stuff back the fake backing of this thing or the cheap backing kind of pulled away and the key dropped out. So what is making a murder show? They show an empty bookcase with the key on the ground as if nobody could have missed that earlier. Um, totally, completely uh, manipulates the viewer. Um, yeah. I, yeah, so... What, what, what were they doing there anyway? If I, I thought you guys in your county were called off and I think that's one of the big you know, um, feedback issues I I have here is uh, why were they allowed to go there and investigate, even if there was another cop there? Right. Um, they shouldn't have been. I mean, I, the district attorney's office, myself and my boss, we were there, um, my new boss, because uh, I helped a lot. He, he was brand new. Uh, we're called to the scene um, when it was still a missing person when her car was first found. And I was there for uh, several hours until... Um, the the remains of Teresa, the dog hit on those remains. Then it became a homicide, an official homicide case. And everybody suspected we'd probably found Teresa, find Teresa's remains there, but there was no guarantee of that. So, But at that point, when we know it's a homicide, and let's face it, Avery, the police might have denied it, but he was the main suspect. I mean, he called her out there, so let's call apples apples and oranges oranges here. Uh, but he wasn't the only suspect, by the way. They they got the DNA from all the other Avery's, too. Um, but he was the main suspect, and as soon as Teresa's remains were found, myself and the, the DA uh, backed off and left. I left. I don't know if he left uh, immediately. Um, the police are under themselves, the Sheriff's Department. They thought um, that with the size of the Calumet County Force, which is, you know, probably a fourth of the size of Manitowoc, uh, boy, it'd be kind of tough for them to search that whole property. So the sheriff or whoever decided, uh, decided that they'd sort of compromise, um, and you can't. You either have a conflict or you're not. You're either pregnant or you're not, is the simile or the metaphor that police, uh, lawyers use. But they decided as long as another jurisdiction police officer is with Manitowoc County officers as they search, um, that's that's what we're going to do, and that'll that'll you know um, pr provide any uh, any kind of uh, you know assurance that Manitowoc is not 
isn't that planting evidence? And they shouldn't have. Or if they did, they should never have had any Manitowoc County cop searching around uh, the actual residence and in the residence. Um, outbuildings, maybe, or the cars, the thousands of cars, or wherever, you know, that's where they should have focused. But they didn't. And, uh, and here we are. Yeah, yeah. It was a mistake. And mm-hmm. one other thing is um, how they how they could actually um, try the, they tried the cases separately and and one of the other big questions was how can they have tried them differently and I think what they're trying to say is on Dassey they they went with his story and confession of, of you know um, raping her in the room stabbing shooting the whole thing the shop and all that and how how they could say that there was no blood and try him on that and then on Stephen Avery they didn't even bring it up and they didn't have him uh, Dassey um, uh, for the trial right exactly and I understand that I've read that in various places too and for the person who doesn't do you know law and criminal law and litigation and trials I get why they uh, think that um, the fact is the prosecution could not mention anything about Dassey and how uh, he or about Dassey's statement as to how the murder happened. That would be a mistrial because Ms. Uh, Brendan Dassey never cut a deal with the state. Therefore, he had a Fifth Amendment right not to incriminate himself, and the state could not use him or his testimony in the Avery case. So the way it works, um, and it puts us in a weird position sometimes as prosecutors and defense lawyers too, um, you have to only argue what the evidence, the actual evidence admitted into court, that's allowed into court. So the state, on the, I get this right, on the Avery case, could not say anything about how exactly how Teresa died. They couldn't say anything about the knifing and the shooting and the bedroom and the torture, uh, etc. All they could talk about was. Uh, the the physical evidence found and the circumstances of Avery uh, Stephen Avery being having called out specifically to get Teresa there, um, asking specifically that she be the one that come to his his residence, uh, his, the junkyard to um, to take the pictures, and to I think he hid his identity. Uh, at least that's what's argued by the state on the Star sixty seven thing. So it was a circumstantial case uh, and, a, and a physical evidence case in the case of Avery. It, Brendan Dassey's case was the exact opposite. Um, there was no physical evidence tying Brendan Dassey to it, if I recall correctly. It was all his own statement. And, you know, there have been false confession cases where, um, uh, you know, the person confessed, but counterintuitively they confessed to something they didn't do, proven cases where, you know, they sat in prison. And did that happen in Brendan Dassey's case? Some people think it did. I I don't know. I don't believe it did. I've looked at all four uh, uh, hours of the videotape confession. If I just watched Making a Murder, I think I'd walk away um, uh, 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 like a lot of the... um, the viewers, the majority of viewers did. Uh, again, that's for a court to decide. Brendan Dassey, you know, he has a right, an absolute right, and this time to effective counsel, arguing uh, that the confession was coerced out of him, and secondarily, 
uh, whether it, maybe in addition to being coerced, it was false. Although even if it's a true confession, if it was coerced under the law against his constitutional rights, he deserves a new trial. Um, and and frankly, released probably because there is no no uh, no other evidence that I'm aware of anyhow. Um, but enough on Brendan Dassey. It's pending. I just think it's important that he get his day in court and right. that Mr. Avery get his day in court, too. Um, yeah. But let's let it be court um, and real evidence um, and all the evidence. Um, so that's what I think, anyhow. Yeah, and, and, you know, and being a prosecutor, you must deal with things um, like the blood, for instance. Like, so when um, when they went back and, and found uh, Stephen Avery's blood sample from the first, and it had the hole in the top, and I guess apparently it wasn't sealed correctly. Um, now, is that is that realistic? Is that common, or is that something that should be uh, suspicious? Um, my understanding is it's, it's very common that, um, you know, when you draw blood, um, in, a, in a forensic sense, in a criminal case at least, uh, and you're preserving the blood in a test tube to send it to a, a hygiene lab or a crime lab to test it. What you do is you draw the blood from the person through a tube into the test tube, through a plastic tube that is into the main uh, the test tube, the vial, blood vial itself, and you do it through a needle that goes through the, the stopper or the cap of it. So you actually expect that. Again, making a murder makes it seem like it's, you know, shocking discovery. Um, and they don't explain the rest, which <laughs> which the defense knew at the time. Uh, the seal, I don't know enough about it. I suspect that the seal, um, you know, that blood had been tested a lot and opened a lot because of the appeals on Avery's case. Um, so, yeah, I I think once again there's been a misrepresentation about what the, the, the blood uh, vial uh, in that condition means. Uh, Was there anything about the the second case in the show that you know mer- making a murder that you uh, and about the evidence and about what they're saying is you know it's it's all tampered or was there any evidence that you thought was was a little suspicious or do you sort of think that it's all um, reasonable? Uh, look, the key bothered me. Um, the key bothered me. Uh, it just looks, it looks too strange. Um, but in looking through it further, um, you know, it had been years, what, eight years since I, any of us had followed this case. Uh, I wasn't the prosecutor. I hope people remember that. I am from the area, and I didn't have time to watch the entire trial. Uh, you know, I have a caseload of heroin and all kinds of things that we deal with. Domestic abuse, drunk driving. It's Wisconsin, after all, so there's a lot of drunk driving. Um, uh, robberies, etc., burglaries. Yeah. So, so I didn't watch it all, um, but I knew enough about it at the time. Um, I especially knew a lot about Brendan Dassey's confession, and, and perhaps that's why I was so certain in my first book, The Innocent Killer, of Avery's guilt. I, I Nobody really questioned it. I still don't question it, because now I know a lot more. Um, and I've looked into it more, uh, but on first watch, yeah, um, if you watch just what they have before you, you start to wonder, you know, 
how did that key, how did those guys end up there, and boy, that looks fishy. you got to look further, that's all I'm saying, and that's up to your listeners. I don't, from my Facebook page and other things that are going on uh, with me, including threats and ugly things, um, I suspect, well, I know that a certain amount of your listeners uh, who feel strongest about this won't listen to anything I say, and, you know, that's their right. It's too bad, um, and I don't think it's the way to to uh, approach trying to find the truth, but if people are really interested in the truth, they'll keep the personal stuff out, you know, maybe I come off as too all-knowing or something, and if I do, I'm sorry, but I'm speaking uh, as a flawed human being like everybody else. But let's have a little respect, at least, uh, I hope, from the other people, and not assume everything without looking further into it. Oh, for sure, yeah, and it's it's not acceptable. Um, They shouldn't be uh, threatening or doing anything like that. Um, I I think that... um, I think there's just a lot of emotion going on in the country, and uh, this just sort of is another one of those triggers. I think you're right. Uh, and most people don't, uh, you know, approach it that way, but the, there's a sizable, very vocal group that does. And um, some of, you know, some of it has gotten out of hand. There, there were bomb threats that are shared at the jail the other day. You know, we're going to get the... the Sheriff's Department and the District Attorney's um, office, which is right next, you know, in the courthouse is whatever, 50 feet away. Uh, you know, Colburn gets a call on Christmas Day uh, from trying to celebrate with his family at home, you know, threatening his wife. Uh, a couple cops, you know, uh, threatened on the job, people yelling Avery, you know, and, and punched at or, or at least swung at and I'm going to kill you and your family and uh, and worse I'm not even touching the scratching the surface of this so it um, it's gotten a little out of hand so and I do get the passion and the emotion and part of this is fueled most of it's fueled uh, by a really interesting show a great you know draw you in kind of documentary um, or show I think personally I think it's a little more accurate but uh, well done, to be sure, and probably well intended for the most part. You know, the criminal justice system is pretty screwed up in a lot of ways. So raising these issues, including the issue of you know, it's hard for people uh, lesser, uh, less blessed in life economically and you know, social economic classes to get a fair shake in the criminal justice system. I covered that in my first book, um, extremely much, uh, excessively so. Uh, well, not excessively, but a lot. Um, yeah. and, the, and the confession, interrogation technique stuff, those are all legitimate questions, uh, important questions. And so are the other ones. You know, was he wrongly convicted a second time? But my only point, and I don't think I'm being all-knowing, um, is, is they didn't have the whole thing. They had a one-sided portrayal. Um, you don't put on Stephen Avery's, uh, prior cat burning incident um, when he and this is when he was 22 not younger as they kind of imply you don't suggest that that was just sort of an accident horsing around with friends and the cat he was throwing it up and it ended up in the fire you don't do that when in fact when he was 22 he doused the cat 
with gasoline and intentionally threw it in the file fire and and the cat died and he pled to animal cruelty uh, or the incident with the uh, ramming the woman uh, in the car with his pickup truck and then holding her at gunpoint after she lost control of the car you don't portray that as just oh he's getting back at her because she was spreading rumors about him and his family and she probably was <laughs> yeah. you know that's <laughs> typical but in fact he had been watching her for months with a pair of binoculars, essentially stalking her, watching her get into her car from up the street in the morning, early, driving by. Occasionally he would, uh, well, often he would sexually gratify himself as she drove by. One time he even, or more than once, ran into the car, uh, into the highway uh, right before her, nude, and then he only let her go after he held a rifle to her head. Um, um, when she pointed out she had an infant in the back seat of the car, um, and the infant would freeze to death, um, and Stephen let her go at that point. He pled to that offense, by the way, not a sex offense, because he did let her go. He didn't assault her. Um, but he recklessly endangered her safety. I mean, you ram your pickup truck into a woman's car and hold a, a rifle at gunpoint rifle up to her head uh you know that's pretty criminal stuff that's not just getting back at somebody for spreading false rumors he pled to that and did six of his 18 years he would have done anyhow because of those six years in prison so it just isn't good when when you portray something as truth and balance that isn't balanced yeah. it just causes all kinds of problems yeah i, I will say but i when i when i was watching it um and the first part where they kind of talked about that, I wasn't, I, I didn't, I, 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 the first couple of episodes, I wasn't really a fan of Steve Avery. I kind of thought, mm, he's not really a, that great of a guy. Um, so it didn't really turn me to thinking, no. oh, I like him. And But Al, did it, did you have any idea, uh, like on those two instances, or did you have any idea that he was as dangerous or as serious i mean those are pretty serious things you know pouring gas on a cat's fire on a cat and then throwing it in a fire um and also um uh ramming a pickup truck into a woman you know and watching her with binoculars they're pretty careful not to do any of the sexual stuff you know they never mention anything about scouting her with binoculars and you know uh disrobing himself and running in the street in front of her and um and uh, uh, masturbating as she drive by outside on his pickup truck. Had they said that, it makes it too close to what later happened to Teresa Albach. Not not the exact thing, but it those issues that sexual slash violence uh, that kind of accompanies those things. Uh, you didn't like them, but I don't think, and maybe I, you know. Maybe I watched it wrong, but I, I don't think many viewers got the impression that this guy had those kind of problems from anywhere. No, no, they, they definitely edited that in the sense of, because um, um, I did think that he just threw the cat on, horsing around with friends, drinking. That was kind of my idea. And I also had the feeling that um, with, with the girl, he um, was threatening her because she was telling stories. I didn't really get the idea of, of the sexual content and stuff like that so that's true yeah so that yeah they almost made him like the victim on the ramming his pickup you know because she was not a nice person 
she she was you know did not like him and was could have been spreading. I have no idea, um, but that's what they they portrayed the whole thing as that. Well, it's okay. He didn't know how to take it, you know, deal with it, so he ran his pickup truck into her car. Well, you know, let's back up though and really look at everything I just explained, and that he, I, you know, people. This may mean nothing to people that he was watching her with binoculars down the street and masturbating as she would drive by for months in the summer and earlier that fall. Uh, and then took his clothes off and ran in front of her car naked. And it might mean, they might say, well, why is that? You know, how does that show anything about his intent? If that's what they want to conclude and that he was just getting um, getting back at her in a totally, you know, had nothing to do with sex or violence, um, they could conclude that. But they should read a little bit about sex and violence and how they, they work together. Or maybe they should consider the fact that he was talking about torturing women and raping and killing them while he was in prison when he got out, you know, for all those years. Um, Maybe they should think through that and think if they really want to get solidly behind this guy and are absolutely convinced that he did not murder Teresa Hubbock, maybe they should think about how is that for Teresa Hubbock when he killed her um, in that way. If that's the way it happened, because we don't know for sure with Brendan Dassey, do we? But... um, do we want to just conclude that that's all false, that he's the victim and Teresa Halbach is lost in all of this, you know, with everything this guy's about? Um, do we want to assume that the police are, are that they're making a murder had it exactly right uh, and that they were totally balanced and that uh, the police clearly, obviously set him up again and anybody that suggests otherwise, like me and others, is basically the enemy, you know? Yeah. Well, you're yeah, you're the bad guy. Um, yeah. Now, now on the on well, one say uh, making a murderer has claimed that the um, prosecution didn't want to take part in it. Um, why do you yeah. think that was? Well, I took part in it, but and I understand what you're saying. You're talking about Kratz. I was in yeah. the first episode mostly because I think of the first case that I wrote the book about the um, Mr. Avery's first case, where the police wrongly convicted him in a bad, bad, bad way, worse than most wrongful convictions. Uh, the the Bacon murder says that because um, I think uh, they did probably ask the prosecution and, and the prosecution Kratz and whatever probably said no. They may have thought there's some ethical issues in doing that while they're trying the case. Kratz didn't seem to be real shy about talking to the press, though. Um, in my book, I refer to him as Ken. I never saw a camera I didn't like Kratz. Uh, <laughs> that was in the self-published version. Um, you know, I think one of the police officers, Link, actually did want. Excuse me, Colburn, I believe, actually did want to talk to them, um, or at least did want to talk to the press since this. Um, but uh, County Corporation Counsel, the county's lawyer, uh, I believe, anyhow, um, suggested that he didn't. You know, there's the cautiousness in government too, that has not served them well. Um, But, yeah, I suppose, I don't know that just saying that we asked them to and they wouldn't talk um, means that you can, that proves that you weren't, uh, that you were objective in how you reported it. I mean, it just, people got to look at the entire thing and then decide, for instance, what I just talked about with with the cat and and the car, just as two examples and the lack of any mention of his statement in prison, 
that he's going to torture people when he's out and, and kill women uh, and assault them and rape them. You know, those, that stuff's not in there. So does that mean they just left that out because uh, and because the other side wouldn't talk to him that, you know, too bad we were being objective? I, I you know, again, people want to make that conclusion. It's a, they're welcome to it, but if they want to uh, look at it objectively, I, I you know, I guess that's all I can say. I don't know what else to do other than to to, to try to show um, that there might be another side to this. And so, what do you think? What do you think um, is next, really, for Steve Avery and the, and the new lawyer? Well, I think it's going to be fascinating. I mean, she um, she is certainly uh, an accomplished, uh, talented, skilled attorney and um she has not been shy at all though uh you know about what she thinks she can do and what she's done in the past so everybody's got their different style i guess um i imagine she'll be filing a motion for a new trial i don't know when and i imagine you know there'll be plenty of ammunition that she'll have uh, to throw out uh there and i guess we'll all wait to see uh what it is i mean i don't know um we got to be open to uh to whatever she has, I, I think that's the way to do things. If she comes up with something <laughs> that that is absolutely surprising to me, uh, you know, none of us uh, have a corner on the or a market or whatever it's called, a monopoly on the truth. So, I don't believe there is um, anything um, because I believe the evidence clearly, you know, not just beyond reasonable doubt that there's no question he did it. So, I'd be shocked if she's got something that suggests he didn't. Um, but then there's the question of a, did he get a fair trial, which is somewhat separate in a way. And I think legally that's uh, an easy call as to Stephen Avery's case. I think he absolutely got a fair trial. Um, I know your listeners who only watch Making Murder don't believe that. But, um, again... Well, so do you think then <clears throat> then if if he was to take... If they would have tried this case in a different state where people were not personally involved, because it's not like it's a huge, it's not like a five million city, people city, um, but if you would have taken it to another state, and they and just on the evidence, and if they would have tried that case, do you think he still would have been found guilty, no problem? Well, it wasn't no problem. The jury was out a couple, two and a half days, I think, so they, they chewed on it a long time and had to sort through a lot. Um, and some of them, you know, probably weren't convinced until they thought through it completely and are probably still, you know, troubled by whether they did the right thing. That's not unusual. He, it's my understanding, he wanted his trial in Manitowoc County. They did not move for a change of venue, and a judge, I'm sure, would have granted a change of venue. You can't do it to a different state, but you could have done it to Milwaukee or the northwestern corner of the state, uh, Superior, Duluth, or uh, Superior is the one in Wisconsin, or the southwestern corner. I mean, you can get the case pretty far away. Um, I think he thought Manitowoc County jurors, uh, having heard about what the Manitowoc County police did last time, might be his best shot. Um, could you get a jury from another state? Not, not under the law in any state. I mean, there's been cases that had more... Uh, publicity than this that you know that just doesn't work and i don't i don't think you know a fair trial uh requires that people don't see how often the judge tells jurors 
you know, you, you uh, just because he's charged or just because of what you heard before doesn't mean he's guilty. You must not find him guilty. Right now he's presumed innocent until and unless the state overcomes the burden of proving he's guilty. I mean, it's said over and over, as it should be in a jury trial where you're looking at somebody's liberty, some states their life. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think he got a fair trial. I don't think a court is going to give him a new trial. I'm separating this out from Brendan Dassey. That one's pending right now. And, it, and more importantly, um, to some extent, Avery's is pending, although nothing's been filed by uh, Ms. Elner yet. Um, but I think factually and legally, the issues are so different uh, among those two. And I think um, Brenda Dassey were just, all, you know, I'm not uh, passing any judgment um, at all. And we'll see uh, what the court does on Brenda Dassey's case. Well, Michael Griesbach is the prosecuting attorney in the Wisconsin state where Steve Avery case happened. He's written The Innocent Killer. And uh, I want people to uh, remember to uh, always treat people with respect. And uh, when they listen and read, um, give their opinions, but um, be a little bit more um, human about it. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you, Al. Very much appreciate the chance to, uh, to talk about the case with you. Completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you! This has been a production of the Z Talk Radio Network. If you're lying to me, I'll be back.